and a very good evening to you on a Tuesday evening on Narrative Live. It's so good to be with you tonight and so good to be with Eric Garland, who's been a longtime friend of the show. And it's great to have you back, Eric. You had to go away for, I guess there were some unfounded allegations made against you. And uh, we're glad to have you back. So, <laughs> Oh, back I'm back. Show. You are. And boy, <laughs> did you tear up the internet with uh, your thread about Durham. And we'll go into that in great detail. You know, a lot of people are saying, just ignore this investigation. It's obviously a, a Bill Barr prosecutor. <clears throat> But Bill Barr does no longer, no, does not have any prosecutors left in the Department of Justice. It's now Mary Garland's Department of Justice. So I very much doubt that Mary Garland is going to allow a Bill Barr prosecutor to do some politicking going around in the Joe Biden administration. So we wanted to look through the Durham investigation and see exactly what it means. But before we do that, there's a lot going on internationally. And I wanted to bring in our good friend, Michael McKay, uh, who's our resident sort of Ukraine expert, or has become one at least for our show. Uh, Michael is in Ottawa. And welcome, Michael. It's nice to see you again. Thank you, sir. So we had some news today, and I think it's significant news. Firstly, there was a supposedly claims that the Russians had moved back some of their military weapons and some of their troops from the, from the immediate borders of Russia and Ukraine and Belarus. But, you know, some people are saying we don't know if that's happened. There was other news that came out of the Duma when we found out that, you know, the Duma, the equivalent of the House of Representatives in Russia, has basically said that our people in Donetsk and Luhansk, um, you know, those two regions in the eastern part of Ukraine uh, should be, in fact, given independence, or at least their independence supported, which in other words means sort of an annexation of the territories by Russia. So give us your explanation of what's going on there, if you could. Okay. So the first point was about these announcements about withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Well, I've learned over eight painful years to pay no attention to these announcements. Right. Uh, Russia will say all kinds of things, and the proof is in the pudding. Let's right. see. For example, we saw announcements like this about withdrawal last year. You remember last year, about 10 months ago, uh, Russia was staging large amounts of equipment and also personnel to the border regions. And then they had a big announcement about withdrawal. In fact, they withdrew most of the troops, but none of the equipment. Mm -hmm. So in fact, what they had succeeded mm. was with forward staging of this equipment, which right. now they have moved the troops back to and even augmented. So it's an even bigger wave. So for example, now there's substantial numbers of Russian troops in Belarus, and that mm. was not true a year ago. And in fact, I've just been reading reports throughout the day. There are no signs of actual withdrawal. In fact, there are further signs of forward deployment. Mm. Uh, I saw some very worrying video from just a couple hours ago dark in the Ukraine now, and it was uh, from Belgorod. This is just across the border from Kharkiv, just to the east. So right. we're talking a couple dozen kilometers from the border is where the city is. And it was tanks driving on the pavement. So not even moving on tank carriers. So, mm. you know, it's going to be tearing up the pavement. And, uh, and well, this is the, the sort of thing you do in the final stages of attack. So, so, you, so you're saying is don't believe Putin on everything, no, on anything. No, course, never. In fact, we should assume the opposite. Right. That what he says is a lie and say, well, why is he saying this? Right, right. So, you know, I look at that and I look, and then I also look at what to me is a very significant attack, uh, action, mm -hmm. and that is the cyber attack that right. took place today in Ukraine. Right. A very large scale distributed denial of service attack against Ukrainian government websites so, for example, the Ministry of Defense has been down all day. I've been mm. trying to access it, and there's just been no way to get the information I usually get there. It's still down. I checked a few minutes ago. 
other sites, and also some major Ukrainian banks, which hits ATM and point of sale terminals. So people wow. can't pay for dinner at a restaurant in Kiev, also, in Kiev right now. If you're trying to escape, uh, it's you getting need a that money. Better. Yeah. The site, oh, yeah. Well, this is just it. The point is the economic damage to mm. Ukraine. And this kind of breakdown of communications is exactly the sort of thing you do immediately before an attack. So I take mm. words mm. Um, and I discount them. And then I look at these actions. So I also think, know sorry, that there were attacks in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk today. Mm. Mm. Uh, and it was the usual level of attacks that I've been tracking for the last seven and a half years. So that's not indication of an offensive, which we're mm. waiting for, but it's indication that there is no drawback. There's the usual level of attacks there. There's the same buildup on the uh, border regions and in Belarus, which is forward deployment for an offensive. And there's this cyber attack, which took place, a distributed denial of service attack, which caused immediate harm to uh, the Ukrainian economy today and is the disruption of communication that we would expect just before an offensive. So, All right. All right. So. Uh, Lots to look at. Also, the yeah. movie by the Duma. Tell us a little bit about that. The, uh, the, Duma. the, the okay. support well, of the Luhansk and Donetsk. Yeah. Of course, looks like a parliament, but this is a show. We know that it's Putin's party and some fake opposition. So whatever they say is coming from the Putin regime. And to me, it's clear that it's it's what they've been trying all along. It has always been the plan for these eastern regions of Ukraine not to annex them as they did Crimea, but to turn them into fake republics mm. like Abkhazia is in Georgia mm. or Transdinistere is in Moldova. These are areas that were invaded and occupied by Russia and turned into fake republics recognized only by Russia. And they have just become like, you know, Neverland. Uh, right, they're just right. like not even places anymore. And this is what Russia wants. They have been trying to try to make these regions a foreign in Ukraine side, so, you know, something they would have to deal with. But that never worked. It was always clear that these regions are a part of Ukraine, mm -hmm. just as Crimea is. And whether Russia calls it annexed or some fake independent republic doesn't really make much difference. It's something that they're doing for their own people. So right. it's part of justifying aggression against Ukraine. They don't want to admit that they're invading Ukraine, which they are doing and have been doing for eight years. They want to say, oh, we're protecting Russian people and see they set up this independent republic. But of right. course, that's, none of that is true at all. It's just a cover for an occupation regime. So it is worrying that the Duma made this decision because, for one thing, it shows that Russia is explicitly rejecting the Minsk Agreement, the Minsk Agreement for which Russia is a guarantor. Explicitly, well, the Duma is. Russia. The Duma is. But uh, you know, Putin has said he yeah. still stands by yeah. it. But of oh, course, of course, the Duma. Duma yeah, here's the thing: it's now clear that Putin can has this choice of accepting it because mm. it's the will of the people, right. or. Uh, rejecting it because he's the greater man and a diplomat and is right. thinking about all this. So he can come out of this on top by making it look like it's coming from the Duma. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. But, you know, it's interesting as well when you look at this that, you know, he's called what's going on in these two regions a genocide. That's, you know, it's the kind of stuff you do when you're preparing to attack because you need a, a reason to attack, obviously. So that's another thing that's worrying. But also when you look at this map, you know, it's quite clear that what he's building is the other side of the Black Sea. He wants Russia to have the other side of the Black Sea. You know, and it's not very hard mm -hmm. to see how he's building that out. He's already got Crimea. So, you know, he's going to get Donetsk and Luhansk if it goes in there. So, you know, there's only those two little regions that he already has a bit of an incursion into. 
And then he's got mm-hmm. the whole Black Sea to himself, which is something, you know, Russia desperately wants because it loves to have ways of moving trade, especially in the mm-hmm. winter months. So that helps yeah. them. Well, that body of water in between those two red bits on the map, between mm-hmm. Crimea and those eastern uh, uh, regions, that's the Sea of Azov, which mm-hmm. is a part of the Black Sea. And it yeah. already is effectively a kind of Russian lake, although it should not be. It's international waters. But that's something that they have already done. There has been a de facto annexation of that by Russia. Because yeah, there's that scandal when they kidnapped all those uh, sailors, really, in that mm-hmm. very, very volatile attack. So uh, what you're saying is, don't believe Putin. Uh, these, there is an escalation still going on. And it certainly looks like Biden has today issued a very stern warning to the Russian president saying, you know, if you do go, we're going to meet you with a lot of resistance internationally, with a lot of sanctions and a lot of other efforts to to stop you. But also that he is encouraged that he's going to try to give diplomacy another shot. So we're going to do it again, I guess, do another round of diplomacy and see where where we land. Yeah. But the only reason why diplomacy will succeed will be because of stands, for example, by President Biden. Mm-hmm. You know, he said today that there is and there will be a strong coalition against further aggression because it would be further aggression, not a new invasion mm-hmm. by Russia. And that I'm very pleased to see. It actually is the only language that Putin will understand. Right. You know, we are all worried because a lot of the oligarchs have left town you know when the when the oligarchs who can leave town and they leave town then they are you know it's a it's a country well known for it's having oligarch control over the politicians and the leaders there you know the oligarchs know more than probably anybody else and all of them have gone they're not stay, sticking around so you know why should the local population stick around i know Zelensky's kind of trying to avoid panic but you know it's hard to avoid the reality of what's going on around you Well, the local population will stay because it's their home. And uh, the oligarchs have built uh, safe havens for themselves around the world. You know, shame on these countries for harboring them, but uh, they're able to do that. Ah, we all like the dollar, apparently. Um, Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate your time tonight. We'll have you back on as this situation progresses, and it certainly will. It doesn't look like it's over yet by a long shot. But thank you very much for being here. Okay, thank you, Seth. It's Michael McKay in Ottawa, providing us with some context and understanding of what's going on in Ukraine. And it's not over, folks. It's not over. Um, Not even close. So lots to go there. Let's move on to the other big story of the night, which is the Durham investigation. This thing, you know, has been confounding a lot of us as it's been around because, you know, Bill Barr sort of, you know, was he about the year before he left office, appoints the special prosecutor specifically to talk about the origins of the Mueller investigation, you know, how it began. He wanted a special prosecutor to go and look into that. The origins of the Russia investigation. Russia investigation. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. The, why, they, do, why do you make really that distinction, Eric? The language. Do, why, well, why, the, why the distinction? Because there's multiple nations involved with Trump. Right. He certainly owed more than just Russia stuff like money. Um, right. He owed the bank of China. He had turned out he had taken a $10 million bribe from the Egyptians in 2016. Yeah. And then there's the some connections to Israelis and uh, Hungarians. Am I missing anyone? I mean, oh, it's there's like a few a cat- countries. There's a few other countries involved. Yeah. Yeah. So the Russia investigation really put a framework around it that tightened all that up. And Bill Barr, uh, we all assumed under orders from uh, Trump was, you know, out there to try and figure out the origins, to figure out why he was being targeted. And so Darren was set up as the guy to do that. Now, you know, this is a good prosecutor. He's got a good career track record. He may have done some silly things along the way, but as a prosecutor, he's a well-known guy and respected largely. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's legendary. He, uh, you know, um, John the Bull Durham, who, you know, legendarily took out both, you know, mob influence in the New England FBI, uh, as well as, I believe, Irish Republican Army. So you've got a national security and a public integrity corruption thing at one of our most storied and important institutions, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And I mean, he, he did all that in addition to his just putting mobsters and hitmen away. You know, he's an extremely respected figure. And uh, I thought personally when it happened um, that they had um, when they appointed when Barr appointed him and then the, the right wing propaganda machine goes into into overdrive where they're like, well, that's it. Durham's going to get you. They're going to you're going to get the lefties because that's what this is about. It's not just about applying the law to people who have broken the law, which is what the DOJ is supposed to do. And what Mr. Durham has done his whole career is to tell the law you might be in trouble. And the tell there is that, in fact, Mary Garland did not get rid of Durham. He, he could have come in in the first week and said, bye-bye, Durham. We're not doing this investigation anymore. He said, no, we're keeping Durham. And in fact, every time he's testified in front of uh, the House committee or, in fact, in front of the Senate committee, he specifically says that he's very proud of this investigation and this is the investigation mm-hmm. to watch. And so we're not seeing distance between Mary Garland and the Durham investigation. So because there's no distance between them, we should assume it's because he's the boss. He can decide, right? That he probably is well aware of what Durham is investigating and probably is supportive of his prosecution. So there are people out there who are saying, you know, not to believe anything that Durham is saying and that it's just a distraction. It just can't be true. This guy's too respected. Mary Garland is not going to run a corrupt ship, just is not. And, uh, and well, I don't think so. And, uh, and Joe Biden is not going to let Mary Garland run a corrupt ship either. So, uh, those are the reasons I would say we should take a look in greater detail at what Durham found. It's a grotesque insult to the line level prosecutors, analysts working for Department of Justice, support staff. I mean, most of DOJ, you know, is are career employees of the federal government. And this mm-hmm. is incredibly serious work for serious people. And that, that can be at Maine DOJ. U.S. attorney's offices, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, U.S. Marshals and others, you know, Mm -hmm. who are helping prosecute these cases and helping investigate them. And because Barr came out and framed not only everything about the Trump Russia hoax, but also framed the activities of this Durham guy as political. And remember, they were getting ready to throw a, you know, a violent coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. They maybe didn't expect Durham to need to be around. Maybe mm-hmm. they were hoping for an October surprise. Um, and I believe the first uh, indictment from Kevin Kleinsmith was um, August of 2020, but it really flew under the radar. So, you know, if that's what they were hoping for, they didn't get it. And I tracked this all along. You know, what are the sources of, quote, the Russia investigation? Because if you're talking about the Steele dossier and the attempts to feed it to the FBI, that is an interesting story. What was the, you know, the roots of that story? That's a that's a really rich subject. Now, if you were only going to take that up to November of that year and hope Trump would win because we all had COVID and couldn't get to the the polls, or you were maybe just hoping to murder Congress on January 6th or whatever your plan was, (laughs) you know, you weren't thinking of another year or two years of prosecution beyond that. So you were hoping for the propaganda value of it. And um, I think it was middle of 2020 or fall of 2020. He sat down, John Durham sat down with John Brennan, former director of the CIA, 
for eight hours. Mm-hmm. And when they emerged, Brennan's spokesman said they had a great conversation and Durham told him he was not a subject of the investigation. So, you know, if, if you're in trouble somewhere in an investigation like that, where there might be a grand jury, you're going to be a subject or a target or you're a witness, right? Or you're a victim. Those are your classifications. And when he said he's not a subject, that means he's not a target either. So he's either a witness or a victim. So all this, oh, we're going to get you. We're going to get the Obama guys for hooking up this fake Russia stuff. The early tell on what side Durham was on was on the side of truth. And it was, or on the side of due process more than truth, because we don't know all the facts haven't been tried in a court of law yet. But we do know he met with John Brennan, who the right wingers were like, oh, they were, yeah, we're going to get you deep state. And then they didn't. So the two important things that I think have to be remembered here, none of this is saying that the Trump campaign did not have very deep and suspicious contacts with the the Russians and that there is a lot of suspicious activity that happened between the Russians and the Trump campaign, which we have spoken about a narrative ad nauseum since the very beginning. Clearly, there was some sort of collusion, conspiracy, call it what you will, between Russia and the Trump campaign to get elected. I mean, that's just, I think it's, you could say that is about as factual a statement as, as can be out there, considering the number of people who've investigated it. And primarily the Senate's Intelligence Committee, which came out with volume five and says it pretty clearly that that's the thing. So all, everyone's freaking out and saying, does this mean that, that Trump Russia was not a real thing? No, Trump Russia was definitely a real thing. It's possible for that to exist and for the Durham investigation to exist all at one time. It's also possible that this is not a attack on Hillary Clinton, that this is just looking at the people who might have committed some sort of conspiracy. And Hillary Clinton may have known about it, may not have known about it, probably didn't, may have been a target of it, may have not been a target of it, may have been influenced by it because of the media coverage of it, or in fact, other people within the administration, within the Clinton campaign may have been targeted as well. In fact, I will say that I wrote a story unbeknownst to me that I, I didn't realize some of the stuff about the alpha server was fake. And I believed the sources that were out there because they were out there and legitimate players were relaying them, including, you know, various newspapers and also um, some people online on Twitter. So, you know, that's how this alpha server story came to life. Some of sure. us got, you know, fell for it. I fell for it. And I think it's quite possible that others fell for it too, including possibly people like Hillary Clinton. So people who are saying this is an accusation against Hillary Clinton, that's not true. I've not seen any accusations against Hillary Clinton, as far as I can see. Have you seen it, Eric? I've not seen anything so far saying that Hillary Clinton is involved in anything. No, I haven't seen that directly from anyone else. Yeah. So if people are saying it, you should question them for saying it because it's just not true. So what we are saying is that there was some sort of weird business going on with the alpha server. And do you want to overall explain the alpha server? I know it's a really complicated thing, but you know, can you give us like a Coles note on what the alpha server scandal was and then also you know how it came to life well just give us what it was first and then we'll figure out how it came to life you got to go a little bit further back to Mm -hmm. how fusion gps ended up working on opposition research against trump they were engaged originally by republican hedge fund billionaire paul singer Mm-hmm. who was a supporter of, I think, Jeb Bush in the beginning, then Marco Rubio. But in any event, he hired Glenn Simpson's group, who in turn hired Christopher Steele's group to go out and get some stuff on Trump. And then that got turned over to Perkins Cooey, the Chicago-based law firm. And two of the attorneys there, Michael Sussman and Mark Elias, um, had you know were attorneys for the Clinton campaign the Clinton Foundation and the Democratic National 
committee in addition to them. I mean, they're a global law firm. Um, we should, so they have lots of clients, but they specifically were, you know, were tightly tied to Hillary and they took over the, the fusion GPS um, work straight from Paul Singer, which is pretty interesting. interesting. Yeah. And we talk about the Paul Singer and, and the fusion GPS work. We're talking about the steel dossier, which everyone remembers is that it contained famously this P tape allegation. That's what everyone focused about, but actually it had a long laundry list of things where the Trump campaign or Trump was involved with Russia. And it was quite, you know, in many ways, very accurate in some ways. I think mostly accurate, but there's some things in there that some people still question, but I think mostly accurate, in my opinion. Others may differ. However, uh, the Steele dossier became very controversial. It got landed into the, into the campaign process by, so I don't even know who did that, but it landed up in uh, Trump being aware of it, and it landed up that BuzzFeed published the entire thing. And suddenly it became a big factor in the election campaign. From there, that's just adding some context. That thing has been very controversial. Obviously, Steel, the Steel dossier has been a very controversial document throughout. What was the the role of Perkins Coie in that? So what, they took it over from Paul Singer, and they financed it. They, they financed. financed um, it. Yeah, they paid for Fusion GPS, who in turn paid Orbis, which is Christopher Steele's group, who then subcontracted to subsources such as uh, a Russian national who worked at the Brookings Institution, uh, Igor Danchenko, who has been indicted by the Durham investigation, and Chuck Dolan, who was a former Clinton uh, administration from back in the 90s official, I believe he worked for the Department of State, and uh, he went on to be a top executive with Ketchum PR, which counts mm -hmm. Gazprom and the Russian Federation itself as their clients for public relations. So, you know... It's That's, interesting. Uh, and it, it's, it's an interesting yeah, group it's of people. I mean, the Perkins Coey group, just to remind everyone and what Eric was saying and to underline it again, yes, they might have done work for the Hillary campaign and they might have done work for um, the DNC. Did they do DNC or was it just the Hillary campaign? I think just the campaign. Um, so Mark Elias is the general counsel for the Democratic National Committee, which okay. had its servers hacked. And uh, Perkins Coie represented the, um, as a law firm, represented uh, Hillary for America and the Clinton Foundation itself. So. That doesn't mean that we're operating under orders from any of these companies. We don't have any, any, or any of the organizations. Well, this is the problem. So where they got into trouble is the FBI said, so are you here as just, you know, regular old patriotic Americans, or are you here on behalf of a client? Now, mm -hmm. remember, Michael Sussman's a, a former assistant U.S. attorney focused on cybercrime. So he should know better. Yeah. Uh, and he said, nope, just here on on our own. And he said the same thing to the CIA. And he said this to multiple people. And it turned out when Durham subpoenaed some of the documents from within the law firm, he had billed that time to the Clinton campaign. Oh, okay. So it wasn't so just they, a lie. It was a documented lie. And that's the kind of thing that ends up in grand juries. Right. And someone may have signed off on those payments and it may have gone to Michael Sussman, but we don't know who that person was. As far as I know, maybe we do. We, um, we don't know, but we know that there was a lot of time spent on working with uh, James Baker, the general counsel. You know, they were putting this dossier that was prepared by Steele and by Fusion GPS, in addition to the forensic data that they were receiving from a group that was coordinated by a, this chief technical officer for New Star, Rodney Jaffe, uh, mm. who I was working with Georgia Tech, and where it gets really concerning, and this is something that all the naysayers are conveniently dropping, is that apparently the researchers at Georgia Tech were like, uh, we're not sure about, you know, assessing this with high confidence that this is what we're seeing. We might be seeing this. We might be seeing something else. And some of the verbatims 
that are in the Durham indictments are from some of the people around Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie, where it's relayed to these researchers. This doesn't have to be like airtight. This right. just has to be kind of good enough for, you know, a good story. Pass the smell test, but not doesn't have to be the actual thing. You know, that's basically the, F, the FBI has different standards for national security investigations than media outlets do by necessity. Um, it would be great if both of them had pristine, you know, <laughs> utterly, you know, forensically perfect standards for truth. But it's not reasonable. Uh, our newspapers would cost like one hundred and seventeen dollars a copy if you're yes. talking about the forensics of right. getting data that quality and in keeping archives that vast like the FBI does. And somebody who was a, an assistant U.S. attorney should know that. And so turning data, oh, no, it's good enough. Uh, well, it might be good enough for news item, you know, for news organizations. But when you're turning it over to the National Security Division and, you know, you're maybe hoping that a FISA warrant gets thrown on some of the individuals you mentioned in your raw human intelligence dossier of unknown provenance, you know, when you hand something to the Federal Bureau of Investigations, they may investigate that. <laughs> yep. That's a, their job is to investigate it, actually. So if they think there's a crime, they would have gone and investigated. And now they would have discovered that maybe this document with all its uh, allegations had some odd, odd statements in it, but also some odd sourcing. And they would begin to ask questions, which would be necessary. But just to re remind everyone here of where we are so far, we've got the Steele dossier has this chain of custody. It begins with Singer, you know, multi-billionaire guy. He drops the report, but it gets picked up by Perkins Coie, which is a law firm that works for the Clinton Foundation, also the DNC and the Hillary campaign. And that they then proceed to continue the Steele dossier, which has always been put together by the Fusion GPS people and Christopher Steele of Orbis. That's where we are right now, right? That's sort of where we are. We got all the way to Perkins Coie. Yeah. I think the there's the uh, the technical data that's concerning about uh, where it came from and, you know, feeding that that story to the media and not having it be quite accurate because the FBI has looked into it and it was crap. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's their conclusion, not mine. I don't have the, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> the skills to, to assess that, but somebody did. Yeah. But what's really troubling there is over on the, the left side of that, um, that graph I put together is uh, Kevin Kleinsmith. Before we go there, and you're probably going there anyhow, who are these three people? Let's just tell everyone before we move any further so they know who these three people are. You're about to mention Kevin Klein-Smith, uh, former FBI attorney. Who is he? You know, he was assistant general counsel uh, to the FBI. So, And he was assigned primary legal responsibility for Crossfire Hurricane, which was, you know, probably the most important, you know, FBI investigation uh, in recent memory. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, you know, about an incredibly worrisome situation where they, a presidential campaign might be so deeply compromised by a foreign power that its employees might be considered to be acting on tasking given from that foreign mm -hmm. government. That's what it takes to get a FISA on you. You're mm -hmm. not just in trouble mm -hmm. to get a FISA warrant. You have to be acting on behalf of a hostile foreign government right not just you're really partial to um you know chinese distributors of uh, industrial equipment that you sell mm -hmm. i mean that's a whole lot of people who might be in on that or you sell french perfume and boy and you're just a francophile 
And you also work in politics. No, yeah. that wouldn't qualify got, either. Even, right. You know, you got to yeah. be having act to get a FISA on you, which is we take the awesome power that uh, Ed Snowden tried to tell us that every that was focused on everyone mm-hmm. if they wanted from the intelligence community. But if you want to turn that on Americans for real, you need this incredibly hard to get FISA warrant where these you know applications are hundreds of pages and you have to prove to the foreign intelligence surveillance court that this person that we're putting this on you know, has probable cause to be acting as the agent of a hostile foreign power against the US national security. We need to track this guy with everything we got now. Right. And they did that on a guy named Carter page yes well no name to all of us who've investigated the story a lot in the last few years before we go further to carter let's talk a little bit about who igor danchenko is um danchenko is a, a younger guy uh, he was working at the brookings Institute doing eurasia analysis russian national originally i believe a russian citizen worked under fiona hill i believe who we remember from impeachment one mm-hmm. there with the uh, <laughs> ukraine situation there and i believe he worked uh, if i've read the documents carefully donchenko worked for chris Steele as a subcontractor which was you know seemed reasonable I'm, sounds like a knowledgeable guy but what happened was he ended up hooking up with uh this chuck dolan for the dossier project here. And Dolan is apparently quite close with a number of oligarchs and, uh, you know, uh, Putin regime officials. Uh, I believe uh, Dmitry Peskov, oh. uh, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the spokesman uh, for Putin, just that close, he, that close to yeah, Putin. Yeah, he was real close to those guys. You know, it was on a first name basis with those cats. You know, it's and, amazing. Um, he's the best paid spokesperson in the world. He has the most luxurious lifestyle you can imagine. He's got like mansions. He's got fast cars. You name it. This guy, uh, Peskov, has quite a lifestyle considering he's a bureaucrat, you know, considering he's just a public servant in the Federation of Russia. So we haven't gotten Jem Tsaki, uh, you know, <laughs> a mansion on. No. And she deserves one. I would give her a mansion. She's so good. She's so damn good at that job. So I uh, know she hasn't got that. So and find Michael Sussman, we've spoken about. We've spoken about Michael Sussman as being the lawyer. Is he a lawyer? Was that correct? Long career in DOJ and then went into the private sector, which is not at all unusual. So uh, and, you know, and continue to have relationship with high ranking officials. So you that's as well you know, Rod, Rodney Joffe, who's a, uh, a guy who works for this company called Newstar, and we'll get to that a little later on yeah. because mm-hmm. it's important to get there. So now let's go to your very, very detailed and interesting thread. And I don't know if we need to go through all of these, but I have every single one of those things that you sent me available. And you tell me as we go through them what you want to focus on. Here we go. You need to read that. On July 31, 2016, the FBI, the FBI. opened a Foreign uh, Agent Registration Act investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane. And then it goes on to say it included a person referred to herein as individual number one, which we know as Carter Page. Now, note that's an 18 U.S. Code Chapter 951 case. That is more than just your average FARA uh, filing, because let's say you're um, a PR firm and you are taking uh, orders directly from Belgium and they come upon you and you are just pushing Belgian waffles at the direction of the Belgian government and you have not registered. That's a 42 U.S. Code, you know, bureaucratic violation. And they're going to give you a lot of chances at bat to come on. Don't you want to register and tell us about your waffle people? But 18 U.S. Code 951, that's felony. And that's they hit like Russian and Cuban spies on U.S. soil with that. So, you know, the fact that they had a 951 investigation into a presidential campaign is like this fire. That's a big Mm -hmm. deal. 
And that one of the cases, of course, I believe Crossfire Razor was Flynn. I you know forget the other code words off the top of my head, but Carter Page was in there and he's referred to as individual one. And uh, when they, in paragraph three there, he was one of the individuals at the FBI, or the defendant, this is, I believe, Klein Smith, was one of the individuals at the FBI who communicated with another specific United States government agency, the OGA, to raise questions or concerns for the Crossfire Hurricane team. The OGA, the other government agency, is the Central Intelligence Agency there. Right. So why would uh, this guy who's investigating this, why would he talk to the CIA? If you had somebody that was known to be traveling outside of the country mm. and uh, mixing with certain individuals and then coming back to the United States and they are U.S. citizens, you do a deconfliction process where you make sure that that guy isn't on anyone else's like payroll right. uh, around here to make sure like, hey, he's not with you, is he? He's not, you know, is he a bad guy that we have to yeah. worry about? Or is he on someone's team? And they might not get into exactly who, because, you know, this is need to know basis, but there are liaisons between the agencies and they'll go, no, he's with us. And they'll right. go, okay, cool. You don't, you don't spy need advise on him. Yeah. Then we'll just deal with you as to, well, you know, we might need to communicate that way. Right. You don't spy on our own team. And, and, basically, and think about if this turns out to be, if it turns out. Nice one. And against his civil rights, which is something Jim Jordan yeah. and uh, Devin Nunes all whined about. And we all thought he was full of crap. So anyways, uh, they were full of crap. So let's go yeah. on. And then we go to number four here. So do you, you want to pick it up here where it says, in addition, as part of responsibilities, the defendant provided support. Yeah, he provides support for the FBI special agents and supervisory special agents in the NATSEC div for FISA applications. And so they did four applications for Carter Page there. Wow. And each of them alleged that there was probable cause that he was a knowing agent of a foreign power, specifically Russia. So they laid in super heavy allegations in those FISA documents, which are classified and dense. And, you know, they make sure that everything's right before so this, they get them or this they're is supposed based on to. The Steele dossier, there's Carter Page man allegations in the Steele dossier. Is that what you're saying? And that well, this is the this reason the thing that, that they're investigating. It's, it's, well, a lot of that FISA warrants are, I think they might have released one or, or more um, that are still redacted for national security reasons. But I believe we know that the Steele dossier was included as part of the big thick stack that they put in front right. of the, the FISC. So, right. you know, it may not have been the only reason, but it was in there as a reason. And the fact that it is not of particularly good quality forensic information is problematic. And, you know, the Office of the Inspector General of DOJ has been over these and said, no, there were material errors in these. Right. So sort of scandalous. Because, in fact, potentially there might be another government agency that Carter Page worked for. That's right. That could be true. Yeah, so, be true. well, and here's where all the people who have said, oh, there's nothing to look at here. They just don't know the U.S. government and they don't know what they're talking about because mm -hmm. this is not a minor error. Yeah, so, you, don't want to, you don't spy on your own people who are doing you know difficult work out there. You don't want to be doing that. It's dangerous. And when the CIA tells the FBI something that needs to be heard about you know mm -hmm. the identity of an individual to say no, he's with us. Back off. Yeah. The FISA court has to hear about that. Has to hear the truth. But they didn't hear the truth. Right. So we're only at eighteen U.S. Code one thousand one charges here. So you know. The grand jury still needs to hear what the mens rea, what the mindset was. Why did these guys lie? 
And that's what still remains to be understood and seems pretty important. So in the Endurum's charging documents here, you know, paragraph five on August 17th, 2016, prior to the approval of FISA one, um, the CIA provided members of the Crossfire Hurricane team the August 17th memorandum indicating uh, Carter Page had been approved as an operational contact for them from 2008 to 2013. Hmm. So Carter Page had been informing to the CIA about Russian espionage activities in the United States and elsewhere for a minimum of five years. And so they were aware of his contacts with Russian intelligence officers. And the first three FISA applications did not include that information. And that is something that the FISC had to know about. And Klein Smith apparently lied about it. And that is not a nothing burger, kids. Yeah. So Kleinsmith, in fact, uh, changed some emails, right? Or did he change the actual documents themselves? But what did he do that was fraudulent? He lopped off the initial emails um, between him and the CIA Hmm. and then passed those on. And it's like, oh, no, we're cool. We're now there's nothing, you know. Wow. And that that seems like a very serious thing. It does seem like a very serious thing. You can't I mean, you're talking about the CIA. There's a lot of people involved in intelligence work. The last thing you want is to compromise anybody there. And here he is compromising somebody there. Never mind, it's for the election campaign. That's a whole other right. I mean, craziness. And let's remember that this information from Perkins Cooey, from Fusion GPS, they're also basically selling this like a product to the media at the mm. exact same time. They weren't mm. letting the FBI work it out. Well, we just wanted to tell you guys. No, at the same time, they were selling the same stuff without the mm. benefit of the FBI's perspicacity and breadth of uh, vision there. Mm. Yeah, so. that's that's a yeah. It seems serious. Seems serious to me. I mean, I I don't work in the government, but it seems like you could be compromising people, and that's a uh, you can't do that. You just can't do it. And one agency should know what the other agency is doing, so they're not compromising it. And certainly, if you're changing documents, that's not a good look. It just isn't a good look. Nah, that'll get you federal charges. It's apparently so. So that's what's happened here. And so now this is maybe a diagraph source. This is, the diagraph is the two letters. It may, he may be a CI source. So he may okay. be a confidential informant. Okay. This is a fact we would need to disclose in our next Faisal renewal. To that end, can we get two items from you? Source check is Carter Page a source in any capacity to what is a CI source or whatever type of source he is. Incidentally, the FBI refers to these kinds of people as CHSs, uh, confidential mm-hmm. human sources, and the CIA refers to these things as CIs, confidential right. informants. So that's the so now we're heavy into government national security pig Latin. So. Right. But the truth is that they're saying here that Page is, is works for the CIA. And, you know, why, is, why, why did they not know about it? It just seems that they were missing information that was very important to them. So it says in paragraph eight here, the liaison also wrote that CIA uses the digraph to show that the encrypted individual is a U.S. person. Mm-hmm. We encrypt the U.S. persons when they re- provide reporting to us. My recollection is that Carter Page was or is a confidential informant, but the documents will explain the details if you need a formal definition for the FISA, because um, they might have different code words or you know different definitions uh, that are internal to that agency. Uh, then, you know, if you really need more than that, let us know and we'll work up some language and get it cleared for use because, mm. you know, the, even the internal bureaucracy, there's what's known as uh, agency controlled information that's only the agency even doesn't let it out to the FBI. They might not even let it out to the, the FISA court if they don't have to. It's, you know, need to know. It's spook stuff. 
So they're like, but if you need something more specific, let us know and we'll get it clear. We can get permission if you absolutely need it. Assuming that, you know, of course, this guy at the FBI is going to be an honest broker because who would mm. be in such a job and do anything else but right. be totally honest? And Carter Page did spend a lot of time in Russia. You know, he was involved in being around a lot of energy officials in Russia, if I remember correctly. He had a lot of information, but he was also putting himself into, uh, if he was, in fact, a CIA a confidential informant into a risk zone and by lying about it to the court that puts him at risk and the whole operation at risk so you know that's a this is not light stuff and this is, looks very no. factual to me i mean people are out to say they're saying there's no facts here it looks pretty factual i mean these are not things that you could really lie about they're documents papers being in front of judges People are throwing, you know, this very reflexive blanket, uh, well, Bill Barr, Durham, political, something, something. It's like, do you know how an operational contact works for the CIA? No? And yet you have this opinion. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, they must have just cooked up all these facts. Okay, how? So you're accusing how many DOJ employees of a forgery? Because that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're accusing them of federal crimes. I'm pretty serious about that kind of thing before I accuse a huge group of DOJ employees of committing federal felonies. But that's you just, you just You just don't do that kind of thing. So looking at some of the chats, people have been sharing some of their thoughts about all of this all the way from the beginning of the show. And just want to make sure we hear what they're saying. For one thing here, there is a question from someone on the chat who said, is it true that Steele had an affair with Ivanka Trump? And they're saying, yeah, Andrea, wow, I hadn't heard that. Just Googled Guardian 2019. Steele had a personal relationship with Ivanka Trump, DOJ report reveals. In fact, I believe that's true too. I think that's what I read, and I think that's been verified that she did have. They had a little bit of a relationship, him and uh, Christopher Steele and Ivanka Trump. I don't care what anybody does with their pee pee parts these days. I, me neither. Rod Rosenstein defends NSO versus WhatsApp. DOJ used NSO versus the U.S. citizens. Um, I don't know if he, I don't think I don't think they used it against U.S. citizens. I don't think there's any evidence of that. I do think that Rod Rosenstein did defend the NSO versus WhatsApp, and I do think that maybe they even yeah, after, to investigate it. But I don't think they used it against any citizens, David. Yeah, no, the, he um, the Rosenstein uh, represented was joined King and Spalding and represented NSO after he left government. However, it was right around that time when he left when I believe the FBI bought a copy of Pegasus for yeah. NSO. So not far off. Yeah, I mean, they needed to uh, to see how it worked, apparently. Mike says, if Hillary would have dropped it in the middle of one of those debates, that would have put Trump on defense in the last days of the campaign. Dropped what? I'm not sure what they're referring to here. Um, Some of this, you know, right. Alpha Bank stuff, maybe. But he, I mean, she came out and called him a puppet of Vladimir Putin. Mm. I'm no puppet. You're the puppet. You're the puppet. Right. So she kind of did throw it at, you know, yeah, she, she threw that stuff at him, but... It wasn't really working with all these shenanigans. And then uh, it's, it's someone saying here, Heavenly Dream is saying, I think David Korn tried to push the Steele dossier before to, he went to BuzzFeed. I think it's true, too. I've heard that, but I don't know very many more details about it. I mean, I had heard about the, the dossier in 2016. Mm -hmm. okay. Well before, you know, it was uh, in public circulation. A lot, you know, certain people in certain circles had heard that there was a thing floating around amongst the media. And I think Michael Iskoff, who was at Yahoo News, and I put some of these brand names up on my little uh, chart, uh, my Glenn Beck chart. <laughs> with all the different, with the okay. string and the and the thumbtacks, um, the, the David Corn at Mother Jones and Michael Iskoff at uh, Yahoo News and you know a couple others. Eric Lichtblau actually was going to BGR Group 
the Russia FARA agents to work with them on some of this. Uh, so the New York Times passed ultimately on it, but not before saying on October 31st that, you know, investigating Trump, FBI finds no links mm. to Russia, which was not quite true either. It turned no. out. No, it was not quite true. So we've covered off some of this stuff on the left-hand side. You just mentioned a lot of the US media outlets. You've mentioned Carter Page. Mm -hmm. We've gone through all of that and working for potentially the CIA as a confidential informant. Kevin Klein-Smith, we've spoken about. The, the relationship with James Baker and the FBI, you've mentioned a little bit, but maybe I haven't heard enough about him. What happened there? You know, not that much is known, though. There is another filing in the, the Durham investigation that pertains to this, uh, I believe, devices that they now have in custody that um, they just let the court know that they'd had one phone in custody from James Baker. And I think they found another two and they had mm. to let them know that. And I was like, Oh, Stuff but that's, you know, that's in the innuendo. Uh, there's nothing conclusive about okay. that. So, you know, I put the little red boxes, you know, there for a reason. These are the people right. that have been indicted and they're indicted on a very limited basis. Now, right. late yesterday, um, Sussman also put up uh, a response to the conflict of interest motion that was made by Durham. And, you know, he's saying, well, it's like you're you're accusing us of some larger conspiracy. I'm like, well, there's a lot going on here, guys. <laughs> if it looks like a conspiracy and walks like a conspiracy, it could be a conspiracy. It's 18 uh, U.S. Code, Chapter 371. All right. <laughs> so let's get to, you know, my personal favorite here, the Alpha Server scandal controversy i mean this thing has been this was the big key to everyone that you know there was something wild going on between trump and the russians and yet there's been no conclusive evidence one would say that that is in fact what happened there is some evidence some scant evidence that some of the ips appear to be communicating with each other in an unusual pattern however where everything falls apart is that the ips themselves you may be uh, spoofed or not not actually originating from where they should have so what they said they were coming from. So someone had gone in and spoofed these uh, IPs and said, hey, look, we've got all these things communicating with each other, but maybe they weren't. Yeah, that's something that could be, that could possibly have been spoofed. And that's the kind of thing that like, you know, FBI cyber might mm -hmm. be able to put more, you know, elbow grease into or on the foreign side, the National Security Agency could liaise with their colleagues over at FBI and CIA. The CIA has cyber, uh, you know, stuff. It's like to really make sure you have these giant, hugely funded organizations called intelligence agencies, and they can do a lot more than a group of university researchers. Though I don't want, you know, I'm not here to cast aspersions at open source intelligence. Oh. That's uh, what I work out of, you know, and look at what happened with the January 6th, where you've got the uh, sedition hunters who are going through photos and, you know, finding out who people are and tracking down their social media. And, you know, that was an absolutely essential part of, you know, how fast January 6th prosecutions have moved. That and thousands upon thousands of valuable tips for the FBI from the general public. Mm. You know, you don't want to, you know, tell everybody that, you know, this can only come from James Bond types. That's right. not true. That's not um, true at all. But, you know, if a group of people get together and conspire or come up with some story that is, you know, not true, and especially if they go against any presidential campaign, I don't care who it is, if any of the people running for the presidency of the United States are being targeted by a group of people with fake information about some plots that they might be involved in, but they're not involved in at all, that's really significant. I mean... Yeah, I have very little time for the Trump 
presidency, and I've certainly been vocally critical of it in many, many ways. I don't think they even won the 2016 election, if you want to be honest. But I am completely, you know, I'm opposed to people accepting lies as truth in order to justify that their condemnation of Donald Trump. It looks like it was a made up story. It doesn't look like the Alpha Bank server was really there and operating the way it was said. And it is also very concerning that, you know, and Mueller basically said so when he was testifying in front of the committee. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it's a bit of a non-story, except it was really a story because a group of people may have actually targeted a candidate for the president of the United States with a fake thing. And that fake thing is the Alpha server. And, you know, for the people that want to cast aspersions on this, you know, I'm going to Mm -hmm. take it the exact same way that the prosecutors do in this Mm -hmm. matter. What are the facts before us? Who lied? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if this is such an airtight story and it was funny, I saw the, you know, the variety of um, uh, not all that organic looking uh, Twitter accounts, you know, saying, but oh, but, you know, nobody's proved the Alpha Bank story wrong. It's like, that's not true. You know, the FBI has been very clear on this, that they looked into it and it has no validity. But go with it from go with this story from, you know, from the vantage point of facts. If this was such an airtight story, then why are people lying about it? Why are you lying about whether you're charging the Clinton campaign for it? Why are you lying about Carter? Oh, I talked to the CIA and um, they don't know him, but they did. And there's all sorts of forensic evidence proving Mm -hmm. that this Kleinsmith guy who pleaded to a criminal information good and early, and I believe got probation, which is generally the sign that somebody's very cooperative and mm-hmm. may have indicated the other members of a conspiracy. That's what'll mm-hmm. get you out of that kind of hot water. Because when you're talking about, you know, sabotaging a national security investigation, mm-hmm. getting a probation, just don't get caught drunk driving and, you know, check in, you know, once every few weeks or whatever, you have to usually provide some significant assistance to the government in order to have prosecutors be willing to tell the court that you're okay with that being that person's penalty. So that suggests that uh, Mr. Kleinsmith has been very helpful to the U.S. government. And by helpful, that usually means putting other people away. Mm-hmm. So it seems unlikely that this is going to be constrained to three individuals. Right. There's another name here which struck me, and I'm sure struck you when you came across it, and that is Newstar. I mean, that is an, an as a corporation, um, that is a big, big company. And you mentioned defense earlier, contractor. Yeah, Rodney Joffrey is a guy who works for them and is involved in some of this. How is he involved in it? Apparently, he ran the research team, and he was chief technical officer for the company. And a uh, shout out to Justin Coleman, uh, my research colleague, who found that uh, Neustar there was partnered with Russia's Vimplecom to provide mm. them with, uh, which is a major telecom provider. And to, this was a 2007 press release, I believe, that they... Um, they provided that, uh, messaging services, uh, I think. For yeah, messaging services. So yeah. there's well, some Russia just, contacts there. Just some work with the Russians. It's just what and this is an interesting name that comes up because John Vane weirdly came up in my show. It was just a week ago, I think. <laughs> Maybe it was a little yeah. um, where We spoke about, you know, LB and some other people involved in some things. And this guy, John Vane, is the person that LB introduced me to as, as I was being sent on a, you know, what I believe is a catch and kill interview with Ari Ben Menashe. You know, mm. John Vane is the guy I had to speak to, you know, to help coordinate all of this. And then he was going to offer to assist us in our investigation with a major broadcaster if we attached ourselves to it. And, you know, I am, uh, had left that story behind last week, but 
On the other hand, here's John Vane, and he sold his company to Newstar, his company called MarketWatch to Newstar for $450 million. So that's an interesting connection between Mr. Vane and the story, this bigger story. But also, you know, the person who I found out about the Alpha Bank server from was a person by the name of Louise Mensch. We all know Louise Mensch. I hope oh, yeah. we don't know her as well as I know her, and maybe as well as Eric knows her, because she's not been very nice to me over the years. She's certainly accused me of very many libelous, wrong, incorrect things. But she's the person that I discovered about the Alpha server from. And in fact, I think a lot of people found out about the Alpha server through her reporting, which is interesting. Here she is yeah. in this tweet. You know, I think Muller, she wrote, Alison Gill is referring to maybe you, or maybe me in this tweet here. Don't listen to people who think Durham is onto something. He's not. Block and move on. Who knows who she's referring to, but certainly I believe he's onto something. You believe he's onto something. Uh, maybe uh, maybe maybe the federal judges in the, the district of D.C.? Is uh, that because they are those guys that off base? My God, that judge should really get onto these two uh, Internet yeah. figures. Maybe Merrick Garland as well. Maybe oh, Mary Garland. Yeah, because he thinks he's onto something, you know, just just as hazard a guess there. I mean, and it's not so, like they were going to put him on the Supreme Court or anything. I mean, you know, he's yeah. he's just a coffee boy over there. Now, Mullish wrote, Alison Gill may have not been the person who she, she may not have named anybody, but guess who did? Louise Mensch mentioned you, Ari Garland, <clears throat> for falsely accusing Hillary Clinton yesterday, which you did not do, in fact, falsely accuse Hillary Clinton of anything. Louise. You know, she, Louise isn't that accurate. I don't know if you, no. if you look that up. You can Wikipedia. She's not very accurate. Yeah. And if you look at the origins of the whole Alpha Bank story, you know, you'll find out that a lot of it is related to her, to her publication and her uh, publicizing that whole story. And what makes this next little bit of information such a clincher, and I'm sharing it because of the fact that it's now publicly important that I share it, is that I happen to know that uh, Louise Mensch had uh, direct ties with John Vane. And I know that because LB told me that. I don't know if you do. I don't know if uh, Louise Mensch, do you know John Vane? Why don't you tell us? I'm sure you'll tell us right after this. Uh, you'll be, have lots to say on your Twitter feed. And I'm sure people would love to hear from you about whether you know John Vane. Because I would like to know if you know John Vane. In what capacity do you know John Vane? And then while uh, you know I'm at it, I should also mention that Alison Gill and LB, and I think you, were involved in a fundraising scheme coordinated by John Vane, re related to some uh, to the Biden campaign. Uh, that's where I recognize that that's, name That's from? where you recognize yeah. the name, yeah. Hmm. So that's a lot of people involved in both John Vane's life and in the story of the Alpha Server life. And uh, I'll leave it there. I mean, I think it's just all interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's, I remain fascinated every day by every development that I'm learning here, you know, micro level and on a macro level. But it's certainly if you throw it up a chart that looks like this, Boy, did I, did I mention that John Vane also knew Steve Bannon? I didn't mention that. John Vane is very close to Steve Bannon because uh, he was, in fact, there when Ovitz got the deal from Steve Bannon about the sale of the oh, artist management yeah, company. Artist management. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so there you go. Yeah. So just, uh, and I think uh, LB hmm. also got some uh, uh, screen scripts or something, I don't know, from Bannon to proof as well. So she might have some knowledge there, too. I think uh, maybe Louise knows Bannon. I don't know. Maybe. Why don't you tell us all, guys? We're really interested. And, uh, you know, this continues. I've been trying to leave the story behind. I, I, I promised I would, except that we keep getting these personal attacks. But more than that, now I think it's public knowledge, a public and important that people find out about these things because 
there are very damning uh, links, it looks like to me, and people should be aware of them. And at least, uh, you know, as they read these tweets and reads this commentary by people who claim to be public figures and who claim to be on the side of justice, you know, you should be aware of where their connections might lie. And that is all I'll say there. I won't say anything, you know, there's nothing more here than that, that there's some interesting connections, just some really interesting connections. Very interesting. So that's the show for tonight on Narratives. Uh, my thanks to you, Eric Garland. It's so good to have you back here, by the way. Uh, you are so good at this stuff. I knew nothing about this Durham thing until yesterday morning, and your thread is so good. Everyone should go check it out. Everyone should uh, subscribe to your feed anyhow, because it is, uh, it is lightning and informative and brilliant, and there's 300,000 people who go there on a regular basis, uh, which is one of the biggest accounts I know. And it's certainly full of really important information. If you want to know what's going on before anybody else, it's the place to go. So that's at Eric Garland on Twitter, and everyone should follow that account. Uh, any last thoughts from you? It's going to be an interesting week, guys. So yes, let's just up. all be good to each other. <laughs> let's be uh, kind, considerate, and professional to one another in public and see you out there on the internet webs. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. It's also troubling for all of us. And uh, I'm trying to keep it as, uh, as sane as possible uh, and to make it as non-personal as possible. And I think that's the most important thing for all of us going forward as we look into this. Uh, hopefully this will be the last conversation we have, but I suspect it is not going to be the last conversation we have on this topic. We'll just see how it develops in the next few weeks. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Michael McKay for being here earlier on uh, and just sharing his information on uh, what's going on in Ukraine. We'll certainly follow that story uh, going forward. And to you at home, thank you for being here on Narrative, and we'll see you again tomorrow night. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.